My little ladies and gentlemen, come on down. It's time for the children's story. Everything that he asked, he got what he needed. 
and he was having a great time on this island. Well, after about a month, he got really tired of this life, and he says, Lord, I, I just want to go home. I want to raise a family, and please send me a ship. And he prayed, and a few hours later, bam, there comes a rescue boat coming to rescue him and his new wife. And he gathered the little bits that he had, and he got his wife, and he was walking on the boat, and he heard a voice. And the voice said, where are you going? And how about your best friend? And Eric was said, said, what? What do you mean? My best friend is here. I have my wife. And he said, what about your best friend, Ray? And this whole time he was on that island, he totally forgot about his best friend, Ray. And he says, who are you? He said, I am the person that you've been praying to and asking and has been giving you food, has been giving you shelter, and has given you your wife. My little ladies and gentlemen, who is this voice? It was God. God was talking to him this whole time. God was answering his, his prayer, but then God said, you know, it wasn't your prayer that I was answering. It was your friend Ray. It was his prayer that I was answering. He felt so bad. The whole time he was there, he totally forgot about his friend Ray. He was only concerned about what he needed, what he wanted, and that's all that he was praying for. While this whole time, his friend Ray was praying one prayer, and the Lord said, this was his prayer. Please help my friend Ray with whatever he needs. Please send him whatever he needs. Eric was so... He felt so guilty that he got on his knees. He said, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you would still take care of me while I was still so selfish and had forgotten about my friend. My little ladies and gentlemen, here comes the lesson. I want you all to turn around pay attention. Here comes the lesson. You know, sometimes we get so wrapped up and so worried about our stuff, what we want, that we forget our friends. But during this time, you know who still loves us and takes care of us? He sure does. He doesn't ever forget. God takes care of us. So when those times come, remember that God still loves you. Okay, so we're going to end this in prayer. After prayer, we'll pick up the lamb's offering. Is there, do I have a volunteer? I'll help you. Is there a volunteer that'll pray? Come to me. Let's pray. Okay, let's fold our hands and close our eyes. Dear Jesus, your love is so great for us. You love us. Even when we forget, you love others. Help us to love you as much as you love us. And help me to love others too. In Jesus' name.
Christ alone. And uh, we're going to have everyone stand. And the uh, orchestra is going to We stand in the presence. We stand in your presence because you are the only one who deserves worship. We stand in your presence because we know you are the only source of hope and comfort. We stand in your presence because we know that you are the only source of wisdom that we can draw from to live in this world. And Father, we pray that as we gather here today to celebrate Jesus. And as we open your word, let us, Father, hear only the voice of Jesus. Remove me from the message and let it, the voice of the Lamb, the, Lord, the voice of the Savior, 
to be the only one resonating in this place. In his name that we pray, amen. Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. If you are here for the first time, or if you've been here for a long time, or you come every once in a while, you came at the right time. Today we start a new series, and we call it Loved Even in Spite of Me. And the reason why this series is so special is because we believe that there are several elements that help us to get closer to God and to become the people that God wants us to be. And even in spite of our mistakes, in, in, in spite of our past, Jesus still loves us enough to bring us back to his fall and to help us to become what he had designed us to be. So there's a couple of things that you will get today. In your bulletin, you have your notes. And uh, that, that, those are on the right side of the bulletin, yes. But there's also another sheet of paper this color. You see it? Okay. On the front of this paper, there is a list of life groups. Life groups. These are groups of people, you, who are, have dedicated a time set apart during the week to get in contact with God and with each other. We believe that we are not designed to live life alone, especially Christianity alone. We are designed to have a family. And we are a big family here. And that is a good problem to have. We are a big family. The problem is that when we leave this family, this place, we don't contact anybody anymore. And God says, you know, you need to be connected. You need to be in touch with each other. Because God made us to live life together. That's why we call them life groups. And uh, on this back, like I told you, there's a list of groups. Not all the groups that we have because some already have too many people. And we don't want it to be another church. We want them to be in small groups. So, so these are other groups. Now some people are thinking about forming new life groups. And that is awesome. Because you know what? Two people could start a life group. That's the promise, right? Whatever two or three gather in my name, there I am. Now... What are you going to do there? Flip the page over. On the other side of the page, there are some questions based on the message and the text that we'll talk about on Sabbath morning. So these questions are conversation starters and more practical guideline of what, what God wants us to learn from these passages. Now, at the end of the message today, you will get a card. Some of you are already familiar with the cards, right? Okay, in the back of the card, there is a text. This is the memory text that we need to memorize, right? This is a piece of scripture that would help us to remember not just the message, but that would help us as the promise that God has given us for this week. So, this series will grow together here, we'll grow together in our life groups, and we'll grow individually, but as a family. So being that said, go to your notes. Today, I want to talk to you about love. However, uh, scientists have discovered that love is a chemical reaction that only lasts two weeks. 
That's why we say, I fell in love. And it's almost as good as I fell in a ditch or I fell in the lake. Because it doesn't last very long. In the best case scenarios, this chemical reaction lasts for two years. And that's it. That is why some people say that puppy love leads to a dog's life. <laughs> and others say, in a less scientific term, love is blind, but marriage is a great eye-opener. <laughs> Today I want to tell you that love in the Bible is hardly ever referred as a romantic emotion. Love in the Bible is an experience that is based in conjunction with an action. It's not on feelings. It's based on actions. This series will discover the qualities that Jesus wants to see in every one of us. The qualities that Jesus wants to see in his church. Now, when we talk about church, some of us, because of our experience, our past, our history, we can think, well, the church is not perfect. The church is full of problems. And you, let me tell you that you're right. But every time the church has problems, they are never God's problems. They are always people's problems. And the reason why they're people's problems is because we haven't really understood what love is all about. And when as an individual, I have my own agenda, not God's agenda. When I want to feel my emotions, not God's emotions. When I want to do my own thing, not God's thing. That's when problems in the church occur. Because if I am wrong, I'm part of the church, I'm going to bring my mistakes to the church. Now in Revelation 1.1, it's right there in your notes, we'll find what this series is going to be all about. And it says, I read from the New King James Version today, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there. The revelation of what? So the book of Revelations begins with one simple thing. It begins with Jesus. Now, this is quite interesting because the word revelation from where the name takes its, uh, the, the book takes its name, it's quite interesting. In Greek, is the word apocalypsis. Can you say apocalypsis? That's funny because in Spanish, that's the same name, apocalypsis. And you know what that means? You know when you go to a hotel and you sleep all, you sleep all night and it's already like noon and you wake up? Don't lie. It's noon and you wake up, and then you go to the curtain and you open it. And you see the light coming through. The action of opening the curtain and letting the light through, that is apocalypsis. It's a revelation of the light that is outside, that inside you cannot see. So the book of Revelation is designed, was written with the purpose of removing the curtain, the things that don't let us see, who is shining with light. And that is Jesus Christ. 
So the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 1, which God gave him to show his servants. You see a chain of command here? Things which, which must surely take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So you see the process. God gave it to the angel, to John. Now, John writes this book, and it was written in the year 94. Now, this is a series. It begins with a series of letters. And these letters are designed for each one of the churches that were established in the region known today and, and back in, in those days as Asia Minor. And these churches receive a message directly from John. Now, each one of these churches has a couple of reasons why they received the letter. Revelation 2 says... Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know what a testimony is, correct? The word testimony comes from the word witness. Witness. And what he's saying here is that the people who will receive these letters, who will receive this message, this revelation of Jesus Christ... The reason why they will receive it is because without information, they will bear witness. They will testify of Jesus. In these letters, we'll find the image that Jesus wants of his church, specifically from chapters 2 and 3 on Revelations. Now, Revelation has two meanings. One it's a prophetic message. The book of Revelation is entirely, you heard me well, entirely symbolic. There's no part of Revelation that are literal and parts that are symbolic. No, no, no. It was designed to be a symbolic book. It was designed to be a code in, during a time when the church was persecuted. This book was written in the year 94. So this is the time of the first persecution of Christians. So when John writes this letter, it was full of symbols. And only those who understood the Old Testament and the message of Jesus, the words of Jesus through the disciples, the teachings of the disciples, understood the meaning of those words. However, the second meaning is a prophetic meaning. So by being prophetic, that means that it's going to apply to people that not only lived at that time, but will live later on. And guess who that is? That is us. So we need to be clear-minded and, and, and understand that as we read the book of Revelation, we have an advantage from those who read it the first time. Those who read it the first time, yes, they had the Old Testament. But they didn't have it the way we have it. They didn't have a book like the way we have it. We have the, Old, the New Testament, the words of Jesus, the teachings of the disciples. We have them. But we also have another thing that they didn't have. And that is history. They haven't lived through the experiences that the book of Revelations will talk about. And we have. So... Because it has a prophetic and a practical meaning, this book will visit, it, will visit today both. 
And the first thing that Jesus is trying to tell his church family is that he is interested in you. Jesus is interested in you. With your faults and defects and all kinds of sins and past and history and mistakes, God is saying Jesus is interested in you. Verse 1, to the angel, chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. And this is the first letter. To the angel of the church of where? Are you awake this morning? Okay. Now let's talk about Ephesus for, for a few minutes. Ephesus looks like this now today. It's not like the city that it was back then. But see, Ephesus was a major city. It had about 340,000 people living in the city. And, and they had an attitude that they were better than everybody else. Ephesus had a few things that they, that they had that most people didn't have in those years. They, had, they were surrounded by roads. All the roads that went to Rome passed through Ephesus. There were three major roads that passed through that city. And as they passed through that city, they brought a lot of people. And when people come, also comes business. So Ephesus became a very wealthy place. It became a market center, a commercial center. And, and, and so there was one thing that Ephesus was never lacking, and that was money. They became the center for silver, for trading silver. So it is said that at one point in time, 90% of the silver of the world was in Ephesus. Also, they had this thing called the Ephesian letters. And Ephesian letters were kind of a, a good luck charm thing. See, people would go to Ephesus and they would get these letters written in Ephesus and, and stamped by an Ephesian uh, officer of the court. And this letter would say something to, this, to the effect of, with this letter, this person is going to be the beneficiary of a whole year of good luck. No bad things would happen to this person. Now remember, we are talking about a time when people were very, very, what's the word? Superstitious. And they believed in anything and everything. So having that letter, people were, felt protected. So these efficient letters were a, 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 a commodity to have. So only wealthy people who would go to Ephesus will acquire those letters and they felt protected for a year. That gave the citizens of Ephesus an, a spirit of arrogance that we got it all together. Luck comes from Ephesus. Money comes to Ephesus. And if you're an efficient, you don't have to worry about anything. That made the city of Ephesus a cultural center. It was kind of like New York City. You know, where the World Trade Center and, and Fashion Week. Also, Ephesus. I'm surprised that you know what Fashion Week is about. Um, also, they had a huge temple. And this temple was known as the Temple of Diana. 
This statue was said that descended from heaven and landed in Ephesus. Now, the crazy thing about this statue is that not that it was the statue of a woman, but the way it was. It was a statue that was different than any other statue because this statue was laying on the ground. And as it was laying on the ground, it was measured at a length of four, 425 feet. The width was 220 feet. But the height, remember, this is laying down. It's on the ground. was of 60 feet. So that means that you were standing by the statue, and it was laying on the ground, and it was six stories above you. It is said that Alexander, Alexander the Great, going through Ephesus, was in awe of this temple and the statue. And he told the, the Ephesians, the, the Ephesian officers and those keepers of the temple, you know, I would give you my spoils from my, my eastern travels if you let me write my name on the statue. They were so arrogant that they told him, no, we don't need your money. That was the Ephesian mind. And that took him to become a center of immorality. Because people travel from all over to Ephesus. Ephesus practiced every kind of worship style. It is said by historians, the approach to the altar of the temple was the darkest of vileness. The morals of the temple were worse than the morals of any beasts. Because not even dogs don't mutilate each other. Their behavior, historians say, makes the Ephesians only fit to be drowned. They had a special, we will call them priestesses at the temple. So the library that was in Ephesus had a tunnel that connected underneath to the temple where these priestesses offer their ministry. So what happened was that people would go to Ephesus and, and, and men would say to their wives, I'm going to the library. But God, in the middle of all this immorality, in the middle of all this arrogance, in the middle of all these practices that took people away from the real purpose, decided to plant a church. And it says, verse 1, chapter 2, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Can you imagine the day when John writes this letter to the church of Ephesus and the news go about? John, the disciple, wrote a letter to us. That Sabbath at the synagogue, everyone was there. Now, what does that mean, the angel of the church of Ephesus? What does that mean, the one that's walking in the Lamb's name? Well, you see, remember what I told you, that the, the Bible will give the answers for the book of Revelation? 
This is what it says in, in chapter 1 verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. Remember who's talking? Jesus. In my right hand. And the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the, the angels of the seven churches. Let's pause right there. Are the angels of the seven churches. The word angelos is the word used for angel. But it's loosely used like that. The actual meaning means messenger. So in, in reality, that's what angels do, right? They bring messages from God. But in this case, he's talking about the angels of the churches. So that means that he's talking about the pastors of those churches. The leaders of those churches. Now, I know you don't think of me as having wings and a halo. But what he's saying here is that God is overseeing the seven pastors of these churches and he says and the seven lampstands which you saw are what seven churches so the mystery is clear the lampstands are the churches Jesus is walking in between them Jesus is protecting them and he's protecting the pastors of these churches even the church in Ephesus now this protection that Jesus is offering his, in, in his right hand, it's quite interesting. Because see, this protection, it, it, it means care, means tender, hold. I don't know if you ever had a, a little bird or a hamster in your hands. You know, you hold them tight enough for them not to go fly away or run away, but loose enough that you don't choke them. And that is exactly what he's saying. Jesus is supporting the church, he's holding the church, he's protecting the church all at the same time. Isaiah 49, 16 says this in your notes. See, I have inscribed you on the palm of what? Of my hand. From the beginning of time, God has been trying to protect his people. And now the promise is that even if the church is in a place that is immoral and crazy and, and profane, God is still going to protect his people. Now in the prophetic, uh, in the prophetic timeline, the church of Ephesus is the period of the church that takes place during the first century. The first time that the church, the Christian church existed. And think about this for a second. If this is the first period of the church right after Jesus dies, right after the disciples die, it didn't take very long for the church to go crazy. Because see, God knew that the moment that our focus is lost, when we lose sight of what really matters, or when we lose sight of our purpose and reason, it doesn't take very long before we go astray. But God is interested in you. Now the other beautiful thing about this is that this hold in his right hand is, is in the present tense. And see, Greek is very different than, than, than English. See, English, present, is just a point in time. Because what comes after is future. What past? Okay, you're waking up. It's past. So this is what happens. What, what John is saying is that Jesus in present in Greek is a continuous event. 
So when he says, I have you in the palm of my hand, I will never leave you. I will always have you. So I, I, I'm imagining that the Ephesians who were reading, hearing the reading of, this, of the letter that John wrote, and they're sitting in the synagogue, and they're like, oh, that's awesome. Jesus is interested in me. But then we move to the next part of the letter. And, and he tells us that Jesus knows your works. Jesus knows your works. Verse 2, Revelation chapter 2. I know your, say it with me, your works. I know your works. Well, the first, the, the first reaction to the, to the message was like, oh, that's cool. Oh, you know my works? Now the mood changes a little bit. I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Now Jesus knows everything. He, and he likes what this church does. Because they don't like evil, and they don't like liars. Verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now, what it says in Greek in you have persevered is you have cheerfully endured. And uses the word hilarious that Harry was talking about for the offering call. So this cheerful enduring is that in the midst of all these problems, in the midst of all these heresies and sins, the church of Ephesus somehow has remained faithful. We don't know the reason why they were faithful, but we know that we're faithful so far. Now, the, the only way that I can illustrate to you this, this cheerful enduring is like this. A while ago, a few years back, we went backpacking with, with some of the pathfinders from our club. And we went to this place that to get to the camp where we were going to camp, it was a long downhill. It was a, about a five-mile hike. So going down on the, on the way to the camp, it was cool. It was downhill, not a problem. We get there. We stay there Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday morning, we had to pack everything up because we were going back. You know, after being there, no shower, eating awful, we had a bear encounter that night on the way back, five miles back, carrying their stuff, carrying their tents. We got to the point where the uphill was just in front of us. And now you see the kids going, I'm tired, I can't do it anymore, complaining. Now their mood is changed. They're fighting with each other. Don't look at me. You smell. You know. But then we got to a point where you could actually see the people up on the hill where the parking lot was. Now you could actually see the end of the hike. Now some of the kids begin to walk faster and faster. And now they're racing up to the parking lot. Now the load didn't get lighter. The distance was the same, but what made the difference in their attitude that, that took them now not just to walk and, and, and heavy steps, but now they're running to the place where the car was, that 
is what is called a cheerful endurance. That even though the path, the road is heavy, you know that the end is at hand. You know that the goal is visible. So what, what Jesus is saying about the church of Ephesus is that they're going through a lot, through a culture that is horrible to, to, to paganism to the max, but they know that the end, the hope, is near. So Jesus knows their works, but Jesus also knows your needs. And let me tell you something about God understanding our, myth, our, our needs. And oftentimes we com we're confused with this because God knows what we need. But see, when we have needs, that does not mean that we know what we need. Jesus knows our needs, but that does not mean that we want to get what we need. Verse 4, Revelation 2. Nevertheless, Jesus says, it was fine until there, but now, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Question, what was their first love? Probably some of you are thinking right now about your high school days, but no, that's not what it means. The reason why that church existed, the church period, was because Christians in the first century understood Jesus as the center and the head of the church. The reason why we have a church today is because at some point in time, Christians in the past decided that the way to heaven was through Jesus. And they made that choice because they found it in the scriptures. Jesus is saying, guys, you have been faithful. You have been faithful, but you've been faithful for the wrong reason. Because you are doing the right things. You are saying the right things. You're having the right diet. You're having the right clothes. But you forgot the true reason. Chapter 2, verse 5. Remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. Remember what was the lampstand? The church. From its place, unless you repent. This fallen, you have fallen, the grammatical structure is the same as a satanic fall. Your book of Ezekiel says that Lucifer fell. And we know the, the story. He was an archangel. He occupied a high place in heaven. Some believe that he occupied the place as the archangel who led the worship in heaven. So he was right there. But his jealousy and arrogance and selfishness from being the top angel to the top demon. 
What this structure of falling implies is that it's a gradual movement. It's not once. It happens little by little. It happens in small decisions. It happens in small compromises. It happens day by day by allowing certain practices and choices to influence your life until the moment that you are so far removed that you have completely fallen to the point that you cannot come back. One of the things that I'm afraid for in our culture is that we live in a time that even in Christianity, anything and everything goes. And we have accepted practices at some level that in the past we would had never done, but now it's okay. And when we assimilate those practices, little by little, little by little, we come to a point that we cannot come back. And the focus, the reason, the true origin of our existence, it's forgotten. It happens like that line painter. You know those lines that you see on the highways? This line painter was hired to paint the lines. And on the first day of his job, he painted 10 miles. It was a record for that company. Nobody had ever painted 10 miles in a day. But the next day, he only painted 5 miles. It wasn't bad. It was pretty good. But it was not as his first day. Now the third day, he only painted 1 mile. Now the manager is concerned and came to interview this new painter. Hey, what happened? The first day you painted 10 miles. I mean, that was awesome. The second day, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like your first day. Today, only one mile was going on. And he said, well, what happens is that the bucket is way too far every time I paint a line. <laughs> See, what happens in our Christian walk is that we have chosen not to come back to the point when we found the love. Jesus writes to this church, you have forgotten your first love. You do everything right. You have the right idea, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. When we grow up Apart from Jesus, when Jesus stops becoming the center and the reason of our, of, our, of our existence as a church, Jesus is replaced for tradition, for forms. When we lose Jesus as the focus, Jesus is replaced by, and the gospel is replaced by rules. When we lose Jesus at the center, we replace people by buildings. And it comes a time that what's more important is a building, what's more important is a tradition, what's more important is the rule. Because Jesus has been forgotten. John 13, 35, it's on the screen. I'll share it with you. Jesus says, by this you will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And I will never get tired of saying this. The most important thing for God is people. That's why I won't get tired of saying it. You haven't gotten it yet. The most important thing for God is 
people. That's why he loves. John 3.16, for God so loved. And the world means the planet? It doesn't say geo, it says cosmos. It's the people. It's not the magazine. It's people. People. That's why the only thing that matters for God in relationship to people is love. And he says, in this, that you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You could say you're my disciple, but if you don't love the other, your neighbor, if you don't love anybody else, it doesn't matter. Even if you do the right things, if you say, say the right words, if you dress the right way, if you eat the right way, but if you don't love anybody who is different, you're not my disciple. The church is a visual representation of Jesus Christ on earth. Therefore, church has to be the place where love is admitted to the community. So Jesus says, the first thing that you have to, to do is to remember, remember. Verse 6 says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Nicolaitans. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about these guys. We don't know who they are. There's not a town. It's not a nation. It's not a community. So the only thing that some theologians have discovered is that in reality, it's not a group of people, it's their actions. Because Nicolaitans, it's a compound word. The first one, the first word is Nike. And today we use it a lot. Maybe you're wearing them, Nike. Nike means to conquer. And Laos means people. So what he's saying here is that possibly these people were trying to control everyone else. Blackmail, religious oppression, all kinds of things. But apparently these guys... We're inside the church. And the, the Ephesians didn't like that. Jesus says, I came to set you free. Not to be controlled. See, my job is not to brainwash you. My job is to show you the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. So see, I, I hope you see it now that everything that we believe points to Jesus. So the moment that we lose sight of Jesus, we lose sight of everything. So the first thing that he says is remember. Remember that I am the focus. Remember your first love. Do you remember when you fell in love with your wife? With your girlfriend? Or at least you saw the movie where the guy and the girl fall in love. <laughs> when that is forgotten, when those moments are forgotten. You know, it's a beautiful thing when, when, uh, when you look at pictures from the old days. I, 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 I don't have a lot of pictures in the house from sometimes. Because once the digital cameras were invented... 
All my pictures are in my computer. But don't worry, I have them backed up in the cloud or in the hard drive. But see, when I'm looking for a picture to show, I fall into the trap. And I see a picture of when the boys were little. Or I see a picture when my hair was completely, completely <laughs> brown. Well, I remember things and places and, and things, and, and I go back and my mind travels. And, and, and somebody is passing by, hey, come, come, let me show you, let me show you. Because I want to share that experience with whoever is passing by. The boys go, oh, no, Dad, no, that's, oh, man, you're old now. Or if it's somebody else, another other brother, hey, look how he looks, he's so funny. Because when you remember how things were, the love is rekindled. You relive the moment. And that is great. Our problem is that sometimes we live so much in the past that we don't, we're not good in the present. Because we remember how things were back then. And we try to do the things that we did back then. But guess what? We are not back then anymore. People have changed. My hair is white. I can't do the things that I did in the past. But I'm still here. I can do different things. But the moment that I forget how it was then, I'm no good anymore. So, the formula says, remember, and then Jesus says, the second word, repent. Repent. We, we don't like this word, because it requires a decision. It requires an action. It requires acceptance and humility to say, man, I'm wrong. I need to change. There's some things that I like that I don't want to leave, and there's some things that I, I just don't want to start doing. We don't like to repent. We don't like that. Tell your brother that you're sorry. No, sorry. We don't like it. When we're little, when we're old, we don't like doing that. But Jesus says this in Matthew 9, 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and a sacrifice for I did not come to call the righteous, the ones that are doing things right, but sinners to Repentance. See, in heaven, family, there's not going to be perfect people. I'm sorry if you thought that you needed to be perfect. In heaven, there's not going to be perfect people. What's going to be filling the streets in heaven and the mansions in heaven is only repented people. So if you think that you can earn your salvation by your works and your choices, let me break the bad news to you. You're not going to make it. Only those who were humble enough to accept that it's only through the power of Jesus Christ and repenting of our sins to him that will be there. So remember, what's the second word? Okay, you better tell me that one. This is right. The third one is return, return. And you see the Bible is full of stories of the people of God being called to return. Return from Babylon, return from Egypt. And now we have to return. Return to the focus, to the center, to the reason, to Jesus. 
In Jeremiah 42, 12, it says, And I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return. Who is causing the mercy? Who is causing the return? God. It's not us. It's not our worth. It's not, it's not what we can do. It's not our name or our financial statement. It's God who originates the return. And see, I, I think it was today or tomorrow, uh, Billy Graham's funeral ceremony. Yesterday, right? Ye yesterday. Um, and, and one of the things that, well, he wrote a lot of books and said a lot of things and preached a lot of sermons. But, but there's a few things that, that, that stay in the mind. And he would always, at his first, during his first years as an evangelist, he would always say this. There is a hole in the heart of every human being with the shape of God. And he is the only one who can fill it. And this is exactly what God is saying. You could try to cover the hole. You could try to, to, to not return and stay where you are. And you could, you could rationalize and justify why you're there. And believe me, I've been there. You might think that because I'm a pastor, I, I got it all together. No, no, no. If you know me, you know that I don't have it together. And that is why I'm telling this to you. Because I learned. After I became a pastor, that I needed Jesus. I thought that I, I, I went to school, I read the Bible, I had the notes. I even wore the tie and was vegetarian. But I didn't have it. I didn't have it. And what that cost in me was that I began to criticize people who were not like me. And I became bitter, judgmental, because I was legalistic. Because my focus was not Jesus. My focus was religion. And I had to repent. Return. Revelation 7 says, and this is the, the text on your card that you'll get at the, at the, at the door when, when you leave. He who has an ear, at least all of us here have one ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to West Covina Hills. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. Where is the tree of life? In heaven which is in the midst of the paradise of God, to him who overcomes. The only way to overcome is through Jesus Christ. Sometimes while trying to do the right thing, we lose focus of the reason and we hurt. And we hurt people. When the love of God is back in our lives, the relationship with God is restored and therefore the relationship with other people will be restored. Because as long as pride is in my heart, I will never say to my brother or my sister, I hate you. Or I don't want to talk to you. 
Because when Jesus becomes the reason and the center and the focus of our life, our relationship with God is, is, will be restored and with others. Uh, we were, I don't know, four, five, maybe six. My cousin Mario and I were playing in, the, in my grandma's house garage. And uh, my uncles were installing a stereo in a car. And back then, you didn't use the, the, the clips. You used a soldering gun. And we were playing with cars there in the garage. And there was in our path the soldering gun. So I went and removed it from our path. But we were playing with the cars. Except that I made a mistake. I didn't grab it from the handle. I grab it from the hot tip. Believe me that at the moment that I touched that soldering gun, I repented. <laughs> when I released the soldering gun, my hand was as when you put a fresh piece of steak on the grill. Well, you don't know that. You're vegan. But uh, it, it was just like that. So right away, we went to the, to the back patio where my grandmother had the, 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 the water for washing the clothes and why not. So we went there and I put my hand in water. But my hand was in pain. Mario's just looking at me and uh, we're just there and my grandma comes out. And she said, what happened? I was scared. Because I never saw that face on my grandma. And then Mario spilled the beans. <laughs> Rogelio got the southern gun and his burn. Let me see, my grandma said. And she opened my fingers and there it was. It was my skin was white. Sheared by the southern gun. She ran inside. Grabbed a tomato. Sliced it in round slides what which other way can you slide a tomato and she put it in my hand and put a plastic bag around it I'm thinking she's making the salad for dinner <laughs> but let me tell you that a couple of hours later when I was back with my parents they removed the tomato from my hand and there were no scars left anymore. I think that every time that I lose focus from Jesus, that I move away from Jesus, I'm getting farther and farther away from the healing hand of Jesus. And I'm coming closer and closer to the burning fire of hell. The only one who can restore my life is Jesus. He has the power not only to remove the pain, but also to remove the scars and to help me to tell a story. A story of salvation. A story of redemption. A story that is given for his church to testify. To tell the world that there is someone who can change lives. 
And even in the time and the place that we live in, even with the sin and the culture that we're surrounded by, even with the challenges that we face day by day at work, at home, on the road, the, the weather is raining here in Southern California. We have a chance to experience the power of Jesus Christ. Because the promises that to him who overcomes, he will feed and protect in paradise. But it only happens when love becomes real. When we love one another. And in Chester today, we'll sing a song as we meditate on these words.
there's something you need to do today, if there's a, a phone call that you need to make, there's a message that you need to send, maybe a smile that you need to return, or a handshake you need to reach for. Small steps that will get us closer to Jesus, because it's through him that we'll be transformed as we let him take control of our actions, as small as they might be. Because we're loved, even in spite of us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your blessings. We are so thankful for your love. We are so thankful because you see us beyond what we can see, and you know what we can become when we trust on your power. Father, I pray for my friends, my brothers, my sisters here today. For those who who have forgotten the first love. For those who've never forgotten, but they just haven't decided to take the next step. And I pray for those who they never thought about their life, how different it could be when Jesus is in the center. Father, today we pray then whatever path and whatever distance we are located, that we take the first step towards you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we go, it's becoming, I love it, because every week seems like we have new members coming to a church, and I don't get tired of it. So if you looked at your bulletin today, we have two new members, and today we are welcoming them. So I want to ask Juan Mendoza and Christian Cabrera to please come up here. I'm sure you've seen them up in front, sitting here, you've shaken their hands, but probably you, know who they, you don't know who they are. So we are doing this new thing now, that uh, we want to be a family that knows everybody. So this is Juan and this is Christian. Now. Officially, we have to vote because this is their transferring. Uh, uh, Juan is coming from the Spanish-American church, and Christian is coming from Temple City Church. So, but they forgot about those churches already because <laughs> they're part of us. So how many of us welcome them into our family at West Covina Hill? Awesome, awesome, thank you. Now, before we go, I want to give you this little gifts. The great hope. Because that's what we want to share here, a great hope. 
the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And together, you and us up here, and now Christian and Juan will be part of this community that preaches, that shares, that hopes that Jesus is coming back soon. So family, have a great Sabbath, and, and you two come with me up there so people can give you the hug and stuff. So have a great Sabbath, and see you this afternoon for Get Connected. Blessings to all. Amen.